Welcome back to 9 to 5 Photographer, back after a short break, but this is still the podcast to help you get more shoots, make more money and spend more time doing the things you love. This episode came about after Martin Hobby, a photographer, listened to another episode of this podcast and noticed that a few weeks, <clears throat> months, had gone by with no recordings. He posted a message in a corporate photography Facebook group asking about future episodes and instantly, slash accidentally, set himself up to be the next invited guest. So today we're talking to him. Martin has been shooting for 30 years, but don't let that make you think he's someone who's over the hill. He genuinely started when he was very, very young. He's very active today and immerses himself in corporate headshots, but he's got a history of shooting weddings, families, music photography, and even pets as well. This all means he's someone who is very relatable. He knows what it's like to be shooting, running a small business, managing clients, looking after the beans, and planning how to still have access to some beans in retirement. If you know Martin, you'll know he's a great guy. If you don't know Martin, then you'll know that in the next few minutes. So do come with me as we step into this conversation and speak to Martin Hobby. Martin, welcome to this episode of 95 Photographer. How are you doing today? Not too bad. Hello, Simon. Yeah, good to be here. Uh, it's good to talk to you. It's good to talk to you online. So tell us where in the world you're coming from. I am currently in a place called Holmes Chapel, which is a little village in Cheshire in the UK. Right. Okay. So Cheshire. Cheshire's quite a nice county, isn't it? It's not too bad. Yes. I've been here five years now, uh, originally from sort of southeast London, Kent borders. My wife's from this area um, and it was always our goal. She moved down to Kent to be with me sort of 15 or so years ago. Uh, and it was always our goal to move back up here. And we we did five years ago, and I absolutely love it. It is much nicer than where I was was for the previous 10 years, which was Dartford in Kent. But I imagine that Dartford's probably better for work, especially if you're doing corporate photography. In some ways, yes, because it was so close to London, and I was getting a lot of work in London at the time. Mm -hmm. um, I think when I moved up here, I naively thought that being in Cheshire, we were centred between Manchester, Liverpool, Birmingham... Chester, mm -hmm. all these sort of large, quite large cities. However, when I moved up here, I realised that all the small Cheshire towns and villages have their own kind of ecosystem and they want to work with local businesses to that town or oh, that really? village. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, and it has taken me quite a while to, it took me a while to even start getting work in Manchester. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not going to say I've broken into Manchester, but I am now getting more work in the larger towns but there are a surprising amount of absolutely massive companies that are run from these small towns right right so tell us then a bit about the kind of photography that you do then the the majority of my work these days is i'd say headshot photography and on the back of that just your general sort of corporate commercial imagery where you might spend a day with a, uh, a company and the morning would be staff headshots and then the afternoon would be photographing the people at work. So they've got content for their social media and to put on their website um, to sort of show off what they do really for their for their businesses. Um, most of the work tends to probably be sort of financial companies or fintech companies, accountants, solicitors, um banks things like that and what kind of size company does it typically tend to be you know i'm thinking about an accounting practice you know can be sort of you know five six people something like that but you know do, do you deal with larger companies or smaller companies definitely it's it's a real range i did notice that i was dealing with when i was in london i was dealing with much say larger companies and moving up to here not really knowing anyone um i kind of started small sort of through local networking groups you're just working with the one-man bands and then 
you get known, you get known, you get known, your your word, your name gets passed around. So these days, I it's a whole range of, of, of companies from sort of national building companies, uh, photographing board of directors, through to, um, say, accountants that might have a dozen offices in the region. So mm. they might cover North Wales, Chester, Manchester. And I'm still sort of photographing, especially headshots, for the people who are working from home. Um, okay. I've, I've got a little studio in the village here. And because I, I got that, because I noticed over, over lockdown, I was actually losing a little bit of business because uh, people were getting in touch with me. They worked from home, as a lot of people were sort of moving that way, or they'd started up their own business. And they wanted some photography. They wanted some headshots done. But they didn't have anywhere for the pictures to be taken um, because, again, just the houses weren't big enough or things like that. So I've got a really, it's a small studio. It's pretty much only big enough to do headshots or some small product photography, mm. but it is perfect for that. Um, so I am still sort of getting these people coming over to me now. It's really handy if I'm shooting a bigger company and they get new starters. They, instead of me going to them and setting up just to photograph one or two people, mm-hmm. they now send them over to me as well. And also, um, I've found I've shot a lot of non-executive directors who they might be on the board of absolutely massive companies, but because they're not working there in the day-to-day environment, they're not there for headshot day, as it were. Right, yeah. And they need images because as well as for, for the board photos, they're often people who are in speaking positions or they're the people speaking at conferences and they're, they're kind of always asked do you have a headshot that we can put on the brochure or put uh, on the website? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's an absolute range of people that I'm photographing, as well as a few actors. That's something I really want to move into. Um, and I've no massive names as yet. Um, but, yeah, I've photographed a, a few people who've been in sort of some productions and, and films and things. But, yeah, that's an area that I'd, I'd like to move more into. And is there ever any temptation to do more, I don't know, family portraits or, or you know, weddings or or landscapes or pets or anything else like that? <laughs> um, I think over the past 30 years that I've been a photographer, I've covered all of those genres. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I the weddings, I do still shoot weddings. It was sort of 50-50. And then since moving to Cheshire, it's an sort of moving 200 miles affected the business and then also covid came along and no one was really shooting mm-hmm. so since we've been up here i haven't really got my foot in the door or been shooting as many many weddings as i was when i was based in the south but i am still sort of shooting a few i'm thinking of slowing that down because the commercial stuff is really taking off but i i do love them um they are fun i'm not a massive fan of the 12 hour days now i'm getting a little bit older Mm-hmm. So, yeah, thinking of rejigging what I do with weddings and maybe focusing on sort of um, elopements or smaller weddings. People only need you there for maybe a few hours rather than being there for, for 12 hours. Mm. Um, the pet photography you mentioned, mm-hmm. I I was pretty much a full-time pet photographer for five years between 1998. Oh, get out. And, no way. Or, or, <laughs> uh, yeah, late 90s, early, early 2000s. Me and my dad, um, at the time, we sort of set up a business going out to training classes and agility shows, obedience shows, and photographing people's pets. Um, so I've did that. The family portraits, I also used to work for Venture Portraits. Oh, right. Um, I was a, a photographer and manager at one of their studios. Mm-hmm. Um, I did that sort of 2002 to 2008. Um, and I think because I've done that, I think I've paid my dues at family photography. It's, it's <laughs> not, yeah, it's not something that I really want to 
do. Yeah, no, that, that's, <laughs> that, that, that's totally fair enough. And a big shout out to anyone listening to this who is a family photographer. In fact, the people who are listening to this right now, given the fact that you mentioned that you're getting a little bit older, I think half the people are now wondering how old you are. You don't strike me, I'm looking at you, you don't strike me as someone who's that old though. So just for the sake of the audience and for me, tell us how old you are. <laughs> uh, I'm 46. 46, okay. 46. 46, um, and I've been, I shot my first wedding 30 years ago at 16. Right, God. okay, right, so that is 30 years. Yeah, I've, I've done it a while. So what were you shooting on back when you were 16? Then, on my dad's Nikon F, um, so it was a completely manual camera in conjunction with a handheld light meter, because he used to be a wedding photographer in the 60s and 70s. Right. Um, and a keen sort of just general photographer while mm. I was sort of growing up. So he taught me how to use a manual camera, apertures and shutter speeds and everything, and how to use a handheld light meter. Mm. And it was one of, he hadn't shot a wedding for for a few years, and it was one of his friends who was getting remarried mm-hmm. and then got in touch with us. Um, and my dad said, yeah, we, we'll do it. Um, and he sort of suggested that, He'd tell me the bits that need photographing and I take all the pictures. So that was sort of the first time that we, we worked together, really. And there was a picture that I took at that wedding that I'm actually still really proud of. Because um, most of the stuff back in the 90s would have been very traditional, very posed. However, I got a great documentary shot um, of the... We were following the bridal car from the church back to the reception. Right. And the exhaust fell off. Huh. So we, we pulled up behind it and I said to my dad, like, quick, pull up here. Um, I grabbed the camera, didn't have time to grab the light meter, so just guess the exposure, mm-hmm. um, and I've got a great shot of the driver tying the exhaust back on the car, the groom leaning over looking at it, and again, you can see his reflection kind of in the, the oh, yeah. cap on, yeah. on the car, mm-hmm. and then the bride's in the back window leaning over, you see her face and she's laughing. Um, <laughs> so yeah, most people, they cringe at their first wedding pictures, whereas I've got one I'm still actually quite proud of doing documentary photography that long ago. That's good to hear. <laughs> no, it really is. Now, a lot of the people who who learnt on film, learnt on fully manual cameras, tend to say that's a really good way to learn. And of course, young people who, I say young people, that makes me sound, in fact, I'm three years older than you. Uh, but younger people who are learning today, of course, generally speaking, tend to go straight to digital, straight to at least semi-automatic settings on their cameras. Uh, and of course, being able to see the results straight away. I'm going to guess that if I say to you, are you glad that you learned in that manual film environment? You're going to say yes. But I'm going to flip this around a little bit. Tell me what you think some of the benefits are for people who are learning today without manual, without film. The benefits are that you don't have to learn the technical side of it, I think. So you you can just focus on being creative and you can get amazing pictures without truly understanding maybe why you've got amazing pictures. Mm. But if that creative spark, if that grabs you straight away, then you're more likely to be invested in it and want to know how to create it. Whereas I think back in the dark ages, you kind of had to learn the technical side first mm. and you learned that before you learned the creativity almost. I used to used to argue or discuss lots with my dad about it because he enjoyed he regarded photography as a science. He loved the the technical aspect of all the mathematics needed to work out your settings and also the darkroom side of things, the the mixing of chemicals, that process of it. I I never had that moment of so many photographers you listen to me, it's like, oh, it was when I first saw a picture appear in the darkroom. Yeah, the darkroom never really excited me. I, right. I like being behind a camera, but mm-hmm. the printing, it was okay. But yeah, I'd sooner be out behind taking pictures rather than printing them. And same today, I'd sooner be out taking pictures 
rather than editing them on a computer. Mm. But what you said about learning settings um, on a manual camera, my son now, he's he's a he knows how to take, he's got an eye for a photo. But again, he doesn't really understand the settings. And with the, the Sony cameras that I use these days, they've got so many buttons on them. I'm even stuck on where to even start with him and sort of this and this does this and this does this whereas i'm actually thinking of getting out one of my old manual cameras okay teaching him on that because i think because it is you've got the aperture ring around the lens you've got the shutter dial with the shutters listed on it it just is more because it's more um tactile Mm. and visual Mm -hmm. rather than just butting buttons and going into menus Mm. So I think it's possibly even now is still a better way to learn the actual settings and the effects they have and what they do going back to manual. Yeah, that's really interesting. That is really interesting. Like you, I, I learned on, uh, I mean, a long time ago, my, my first shoots were weddings. Uh, I, I was trained on medium format, so Bronica. I, I can't remember which Bronica it was, but as soon as digital came along, I was I was dead keen to get into it as soon as it became as soon as it became good enough, really, to transition across. Uh, and I think a lot of people will will understand what I mean by that. Anyway, let's take it back to you. And some of the shoots that you do in particular, how do you get the best from the people that you're photographing? How do you go about managing people in a corporate headshot situation? Sort of. So once they're actually in front of me, how do I get the best out of them? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think my technique would be I like to just have a conversation with them. No one particularly likes having their picture taken. Yeah, most people don't. So if they're in front of the camera, they're going to be nervous. So I like to provoke a reaction or or say something that's going to take them out of the moment of having their picture taken. So a few of the lines that I tend to use if they're in in a headshot situation, I ask people what their favourite dinosaur is. Now, most people haven't been asked that probably since they were an eight-year-old. So that's always a good one. And I've only ever had one person refuse to answer it. (laughs) (laughs) Why did they refuse? (laughs) I don't know. She just point blank, she just ignored the question. She just refused to answer it. So then I kind of made a joke about that. Um, And eventually she did, she cracked. I I got the expression I wanted. Mm -hmm. I don't, I wish I could remember all the answers because quite often when I'm in a headshot session with someone, it might only last five, ten minutes and I'm just chatting away. And I really wish I could remember some of the things I, I, I sort of do say to people or the answers that they, they really give me. I think I've always, I'm, I should start writing them down, especially the dinosaurs, because I think it would be great to sort of just do a, an exhibition of people in prints and just have Oh yeah, Simon, favourite dinosaur, Brontosaurus, yeah. just their favourite. I just think that'd be quite amusing. You could group the Brontosaurus favourites together and the, and the T-Rex and the Diplodocuses, put them all together and then see if there's a kind of person that reflects each of those dinosaurs. That would, yeah, that's brilliant. That'd be really interesting. You can sometimes tell people's ages by the dinosaurs that they say. Oh, really? It's usually people who sort of, sort of, what would they be now? Probably in their th- earlyish thirties who maybe saw Jurassic Park as a kid. Okay. For the first time, and yeah. they're always Velociraptor because that's the first one ah, that springs yeah. to mind. Okay. T Rex is is the safe choice. Yeah, yeah. I would say possibly the most common dinosaur for women would be a diplodocus or diplodocus with the long neck okay mm-hmm. and then occasionally you get someone again my favorite my personal favorite would be a triceratops okay um and occasionally you get those and then very occasionally i've had some fantastic answers i really have some people get really excited about it 
because they're genuinely into dinosaurs and they know okay. all the Latin names and they just give you these weird and wonderful names and we just <laughs> end up chatting about dinosaurs. Well, it's their moment, of course. If, you know, if That's you're into it. dinosaurs and someone asks you that question, then then this is a dream come true. Yep. I, I had one woman who we went on a conversation. She used to go to uni in York, I think it was, and she had planned how to escape the city if there was a dinosaur attack. <laughs> and I just thought that was absolutely wonderful. <laughs> Because I think she she'd just done this herself and she kept it to herself. And now I've shared it with everyone who's listening. But yeah, I won't say any names. But I just think that was brilliant. It was a wonderful moment where she felt comfortable enough to be able to share this story of mm. of how to escape from York if there was ever a dinosaur attack. Um, it was only York. She doesn't do it everywhere she lives. Okay. So yeah, specifically York. Well, I imagine that York is a is a is a hot spot for dinosaurs in that case. It could be, yeah. The other one, and again, I ask this because I get some great answers. Um, what's your favourite soup? Hmm. I've had some great recipes off people. Okay. Well, and that's the reason why I ask it. It takes people out of the moment. They're having their headshot done. They're nervous about it. Do I look okay? Do I? And he's asking me about soup. And now we're suddenly having a discussion about food and I'm getting some great recipes. Hmm. Hmm. Um, and then one in 10 people I found are really anti-soup. Is that right? quite aggressively anti-soup <laughs> yeah one person was why would i eat soup that's baby food really and it's like whoa okay right we won't, okay we won't carry on with that okay well 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 that's worth remembering because because 10 percent is not an insignificant number so yeah so, so yeah that that is worth remembering one in 10 people don't like soup okay so that's a couple of the ways that you manage the pe- people that you're taking a picture of how about how you go about managing the client the person who's actually booked you whether that's the HR director or marketing or whoever it is. I think with that, it's get as much uh, information in prep as possible and also give as much information um, in prep as possible as well. It, it often comes up sort of in photography groups. It's like, oh, how do I manage this? And it's, well, if you tell the client what you need, so in my, my emails or, or phone conversation when I'm chatting to them, which again, I always follow up with an email so they've got it written in black and white. I tell them the space I need uh, to, for the pictures to take place. Mm-hmm. And I tell them how long I want each person for, which for me, I sort of say it's usually 10 minutes per person. Most people don't take that long. However, some people do need an extra bit of encouragement. I tend to average um, 10 people per hour rather than six people per hour. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. if I've got it there, um, and then they know, okay, and most, quite often, which I think, I can't think of a case where this hasn't happened, I end up with a list of people and everyone has pretty much got their 10 minutes appointments written down. Okay. Um, mm. And then when I photograph someone, it's like, okay, is this person, we're a bit, we're running ahead of time, but if this person's free, send them down. Mm. So that's how I tend to stay ahead of the schedule. Um, I also send out info on just just the basics. It's just wear an iron shirt. And especially these days, so many people want pictures that are informal, even in an office-based environment. However, I think for a headshot, a guy in a jacket doesn't have to have a tie on, but a guy in a jacket does look, it just looks better than wearing just a shirt. Because if, you're, if, you've, been, if you've driven in or got the train in or you've been working all day, you're going to have creases in, in your sleeves and things like that. Yeah. Whereas if you've got a jacket on, it just hides all those creases for one. And just generally... I add in sort of information for, for any of the ladies. It might be if you want to do hair up, hair down, so we can get a bit of variety. Just come prepared for it. Bring your own hairbrush. Bring some scrunchies. Guys, if you want to bring a tie, we can do with, we can do without. So I think in terms of uh, how I manage the client, it's just tell them what I expect from them. 
but then also have a conversation and ask them what they what they specifically need as well. So you mentioned about telling them how much space you need. Do you ever turn up to a shoot and look at the space they've allocated and you're thinking, yeah, no, they've they've massively underestimated the amount of space. Actually, they, they haven't read my email about this. Yeah, that 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 does happen. Um, it, it's it's not often, but yeah, you are sort of sometimes given like the broom cupboard rather than the boardroom. Um, and sometimes even if you've given the boardroom, it might be an absolutely massive room, but then it's got this giant table in the middle of it that you <laughs> yeah. can't, you physically can't move because mm. of the weight of it or the way that it's in segments mm-hmm. or the fact that it's hardwired in if it's got comms going through it. Mm. So it is working around things like that. Sometimes it's like you might be shooting in a, a two foot wide corridor down the edge of the table and your light stand is actually on the table or it's you may they've asked for white background headshots but you're in a room where you've just physically not got in enough room to get back to put a light stand behind them so it's like okay mm-hmm. i'm going to be shooting on gray and i know there's going to be a bit of extra extra retouching involved the one of the most annoyingly common things i've noticed recently i had a little a little run of it was i might have enough space but then I've got not got enough headroom okay. to get my light up as high as I want because it might be the only place I'm positioned. There's an aircon unit literally right above me, and I can't quite get my light up as high as it uh, needs to be. Um, but yeah, I think sort of specifying height of a room um, is probably a bit a bit too much. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. You just I just have to tweak how I do my lighting, um, or I've 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 even taken ceiling panels out just to get that extra couple of inches to well, put i mean it can make a huge amount of difference and i mean i, I remember doing headshots one time for um uh, for a firm in in the city in in london and uh, there were various people coming along who were like six foot six six foot seven the next person of course might be five foot one and you know you got to you got to drop the light down and raise the other one back up again because otherwise you, your your exposure is just going to be completely different from one person to the next and actually not very flattering on them yep i do often joke with, with people it would be great if they actually sent them in in high order so you could just you could just lower your light in increments throughout the day rather than up and down all the time because after you've done that initial test shot test shot and i use the same lighting setup like day in day out you never get it quite right again it's always you're always just adjusting it slightly for everyone talk to me about how you get that test shot to start off with because you're trying to take the picture and of course, you've got no one to take a picture of to start off with. I, I do love a selfie. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can either arms hold the camera out at arm's length and sort of with a wide-angle lens and take that. However, I think with that, you're never, you're never gauging it properly. Um, so I do quite often just take a tripod with me. Um, and shooting on Sony's, I love the Sony app, it, the way that it just connects to the cameras and I can control it and from, from my phone. So that is often how I do my test shot these days. You must have a whole bank of test shots, mug shots of yourself. Yes. <laughs> let's, not, let, let's not go there in that case. <laughs> That's an exhibition in itself, I think. <laughs> Actually, what's your favourite dinosaur? Um, a triceratops. Triceratops. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. My, my, my fun fact that I heard not long ago is that the Stegosaurus and the T-Rex didn't coexist. So whenever you see a movie and they're fighting each other, um, that that that's completely incorrect because they didn't exist at the same time. But the really nuts thing about it, I heard, is that the difference in time between the Stegosaurus and the T Rex is greater than the difference in time between the T Rex and today, which yeah. I, it just blows my mind. That does that it is really mad does. when you think about it yeah. like that. Yeah. 
Okay, tell me about one of the best shoots you've ever done, whatever it was. One of the be- uh, the best shoots would have been, um, I used to do a little bit of music photography, and I used to uh, shoot for Q Magazine, and they sent me out to photograph a rave in a cave in the Spanish Pyrenees Mountains. <laughs> nice. Um, so that was pretty cool. It was a band called Crystal Fighters, who a lot of people haven't heard of, but sort of, well, it was 10 years ago this year, actually, they had quite a few songs that, was, that were used on TV adverts. So a few of their songs people would recognise, even if they don't know the band. And yeah, that, that was absolutely amazing. It was a flight out early morning with the, with the journalist, the reviewer, um, and then a, uh, a, a coach trip to sort of this, I can't, um, where was the, it was Zag, Zagramundi, I think if I've pronounced that anywhere near correctly. Okay. In sort of, in the Basque region at the north of, north of Spain. And it's, it was a cave that sort of um, dual entrance on it. Um, so the, the sound inside was was amazing, um, and yeah, that that was pretty that was pretty cool. And I sort of had access all areas. So while the band was playing, I kind of climbed up the rocks behind the band mm-hmm. a bit, and then I've got a shot of the band playing, and you can see the whole of the cave and sort nice. of the fans dancing. Yeah, and yeah, so that that was that was a pretty awesome gig to be paid for something like that. Do you, do you ever wish you were still doing that kind of work instead of doing headshots in you know the Cheshire area? In some ways, yes. In 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 some ways, no. I mean, it was kind of it. It was a kind of a conscious decision to stop doing the music photography. Okay. Because even I used to shoot for a few magazines where you sort of you you were paid to go out and do it. But also, I used to do it just because I love the music. So I used to shoot for a few sort of smaller webzines as well. But then, if you're out four or five nights a week photographing music. It was around the time when my boy was just getting a little bit older, staying a, a bit more awake in the evenings. He was sort of like two or three at the time. And I realised I just wanted to spend more time at home. So I wanted to do more daytime work, more corporate work. But yeah, I, I do miss it because I'm still a massive music fan um, and I'm often at gigs a couple of times a month um, and now going with my son now he's a bit older. And yeah, I am tempted to get back into it. But again, it's one of those... Oh, getting a bit old now (laughs) (laughs) i don't think you are i don't think you are okay that's one of your best shoots you've ever done uh can you think back to one of your worst shoots you've ever done anything anytime anything's gone horribly wrong or just not a nice client not nice people to photograph i don't know whatever it might be you don't need to mention any names here of course yeah i think one of the most one of the most challenging and possibly disappointing shoots it was for the heads, I don't think they were quite board level, but it was heads of departments for a major TV channel. Okay. So there was myself with ideas of what we were going to do. We had an art director on site who I discussed the brief with of ideas we were going to do. And then we also had someone from the channel who, on the, on the day itself, came in with their own ideas. So Ooh, it okay. was... Designed by committee, yeah, and it, I think the 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 shots afterwards they just fell through the cracks. So they missed they missed everyone's idea of the brief because we were trying to please, we were trying to sort of incorporate all the ideas, and we ended up with something that I I don't feel particularly particularly worked. Mm. The mm. the the style of lighting we were using, they wanted something that was just pretty much one light, um, quite harsh lighting. However. Most of the people I was photographing were, because they were heads of departments, they were older. And the lighting just, it just what I personally don't feel it was particularly flattering. 
and the 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 top dog i did get a bit more time with him and that was where i did go to town on getting more creative stuff and even now i think i can't remember how long ago this shoot was probably about 2016 2017 some of his photos are still being used whereas some of the other people i don't think they ever use the pictures they they carried on using older ones and i think that as a headshot photographer that's when you know you've you've missed your mark if they don't use the pictures that you've taken um and on that one it's a it's a job that i i learned a lot from it because i think with that one um with hindsight if i was ever given something like that now i would have the confidence to say i'm not going or i don't want to do that side of lighting because and then explain the reasons whereas i think being a bit more more naive to headshots then and also working with uh, art directors and someone from the company three people it was like I, I felt like the little guy it was like okay no I'm I realized today I'm probably hired as a button pusher rather than someone to be creative uh, so yeah that that was the the toughest job and most disappointing results um, but again I think unless you have mistakes you never learn anything so if, if everything went smoothly I would think I was the greatest thing ever it's only when things like that come along that you go oh okay I now know how to handle that situation next time. So hopefully that situation won't arise again. And of course, you know, okay, putting that situation to one side a bit because you got like the, the, the directing by committee that you talked about. But, you know, I, I think that anyone who's taken headshots of anyone before has probably experienced times where the client doesn't use the pictures that, that, that we've taken. Not because we've taken a bad picture from a lighting point of view, but maybe maybe they just put on a couple of pounds since their previous shot was used. Maybe they're just feeling like they look a little bit older because maybe it's been 10 years since they had their last proper picture taken. They want to carry on using their older picture. Naturally, we tend to have this feeling of almost rejection because we're thinking, oh, they probably don't like it because, you know, this is where the imposter syndrome comes in, doesn't it? They probably don't like it because we're no good at doing our job. And we sort of have to give ourselves a bit of a talking to. I'd love to know what your experience is of managing that imposter syndrome that so many people tend to come across at some point in their creative journey. I think you do have to have thick skin, especially being a headshot photographer, because it's as if people in front of you, they have no filter. Um, I mean, I'm someone who I'll either shoot tethered or I will show them the back of the camera, even if it's a corporate job of 50 people. Before everyone leaves my studio area, I will show them the back of the camera. and I, I, My line usually is, have we got something in there you're happy with? As long as you don't hate them all and you're happy. And people just say, oh, they're awful. It's as if the filter just goes. They never say that to anyone in day-to-day -day life. And I just think they, they don't realise that they may be hurting a photographer's feelings. But I've been doing it now long enough. And I, I, I know that I've taken a good photo of someone. It's not my lighting. People do have a lot of insecurities, especially about their own self-image in today's world. Um, so, yeah, there's there's some, say, coaxing or coaching techniques to, to kind of help people through that. But there are some people who just don't like their photo um i mean the biggest compliment i think anyone can pay pay me when, when, when they leave the studio is that's not as bad as i thought it was going to be yeah that tends to be a very british way of saying <laughs> i really like that picture of me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like oh that that wasn't as painful as i was expecting and it's like okay that that's great and it might not even be about the photos. It might just be, and I'd like to think it's about the experience they've had with me yeah. in that five or 10 minutes they've spent with me. Yeah. Because I yeah. think in some ways, if they've enjoyed the time they've had in front of the camera, 
that's going to make them like the pictures more. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's that's one thing I really try to focus on is the psychology of, of how to get the best out of people. Of course, whenever anyone looks at a picture of themselves, they tend to immediately look at their own flaws. We all know that. Uh, one thing that I discovered is that instead of showing the person who you've just taken a picture of their picture, instead of showing it to them, you show it to the next person who's waiting to have their picture taken. And you show it to them and you say, oh, doesn't Jackie look amazing in this picture? Now, that person every single time will say, oh, Jackie, you look amazing. Come look, come look, come look at this picture. Jackie then comes over, looks at her own picture, and a couple of things have happened here now. First of all, she's got endorsement from one of her from one of her colleagues at work that she looks good in the picture. But secondly, the colleague isn't just saying that. She genuinely thinks that Jackie looks good because she's not seeing... Jack I've just made up Jackie's name, by the way. But because she's not seeing the flaws that Jackie sees in herself. So now the next person who's about to have their picture taken, they're feeling more confident in you as the photographer because they're thinking, well, Jackie's picture looked good, so I'm going to like my picture. It's starting them off then on the right foot. And then Jackie, en Jackie ends up <laughs> liking her picture as well because she's had that public endorsement from her mates. So that's my little tip. That always works really well for me and it still works today. So um, anyone listening, if, if, if you want to steal that tip, then please do. Um, but any other tips at all from you though, Martin? Tips in, in general, yeah, a great tip if you photograph lots of people um, and you can never remember their names just get a whiteboard and get them to just jot their name down on it and take the first shot like a mug shot just their face with their name and then any dealings with the client going forward you know exactly who they're talking about oh love that love that i've never done that one before um i'll make a note of that one though martin talk to me about ai a little bit it seems like the whole world is talking about ai um are you using it in any way at all for your work i've tried it i think most people have now um, especially with the say the levels of retouching to do on headshots, and I, I've sort of tried Photoshop's built-in skin smoothing. I've tried the other programs like Portrait Pro that are available to to do skin smoothing with with AI. Um, I'm still not 100% sold on it. I think it either doesn't do the bits that you really want it to do enough, or it does everything too much. And I find I can kind of retouch a picture better and not much slower just by using sort of older techniques either just an adjustment layer and dodging and burning or a little bit of frequency separation if needed for for the weddings that i do i do run my pictures through um imaging ai um but i find with that i'm still tweaking every single photo it gives me a good it gives me a good start especially with the white balance um on on sort of tricky lighting situations but I'm still, I find myself adjusting every every single shot. I'm not someone, I kind of envy these photographers you hear about. They send it off to Imogen AI, it comes back and it goes straight to the client. And it's like, wow, do I maybe do I need to just let go just a little bit? Is, is it good enough to go out or am I a bit too much of a perfectionist? I don't know. But um, Do you think we all are, as photographers, too much of a perfectionist? I think a lot of the time, yes. Uh, yeah. Because, again, a lot of people, I think, get into photography because we're always told it has to be perfect. Everything has to be perfect. We're, we're creative. We're artists. Whereas once you start making money from photography, it's good to still be a perfectionist. But you should be a perfectionist to the level of the price that you've been paid for that particular job, I think. And it, it sounds, there's possibly people sort of disagree with that because they might think everything needs to be amazing. But it's like, well, if you've not been paid for amazing, you've been paid for sort of good enough. Yeah, it, it's a tricky one. It's I could, 
probably discuss just that section in in length really <laughs> well, well 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 let's talk about that a little bit more just in terms of getting that balance between uh, between being a good photographer and and being a good business person when it comes to running your business getting enough clients in not spending too much time editing photos because you know then then it can be a massive drain on time when you work out your cost per hour or, or your return per hour mm. i mean then you know it can end up being you know much lower than you expected it to be how do you get that balance right between the two it is tricky um it's part of it could be just finding out exactly client expectations i i i do for my headshots I know that I probably do spend too long retouching them. I bring everything up 100% on screen and I'll be removing blood vessels from the whites of the eyes, um, every little dry skin flake, hairs that are coming out on nostrils, and then the pictures will be used as a thumbnail size on, a, on, a, on <laughs> their website. Yeah. And But there's that little bit of professional pride that's like, okay, yeah, I know I've done a good job. Um. But I've I've recently taken on taken on a, a job. I, so I think he's photographing with over a hundred people, mm-hmm. and I actually posed the question. It's like, okay, what is the final use for these pictures? Are they all going to be sort of large on the about me section of the website or the meet the team section, or are they just for name badges and internal emails? Mm. Now it turns out most of these pictures are just for their internal email. Mm. So I've agreed with it with the client, and I've shown her examples of my straight out of camera, which to be honest, is a lot better than some people's final retouched images anyway. <laughs> right. So there's my straight out mm-hmm. camera shot and there's my retouched picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and the client, for the majority of the stuff, they're happy going with a straight out camera version. Okay. So yeah. we have reduced the price mm-hmm. to fit in with their budget and I'm only going to be editing the sort of senior management. The ones that are going to be blown up and put on yeah. the side of the... Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. So I think that's manage client expectations but ask what their expectations are. There isn't much point doing work one if you're not being paid for it and two if the client doesn't even need the work done what do you reckon you'll be doing in 10 years time probably the same as i'm doing now um i i i yeah probably just a jobbing commercial photographer of course i i'd love to say do you know what i'm going to be shooting editorials for glossy magazines mm-hmm. uh, i mean that that would be the dream mm-hmm. um i'd love to have I'd love to have. I'd love to be shooting the cover for the Sunday magazines. Oh, okay. Ed- editorial portraits for the for the glosses. That would be. That that's the dream. However, the reality is, I'll probably be, a jobbing commercial photographer. <laughs> okay, so tell me about. I mean, you know, this is one of the downsides about being a photographer is that the second we stop doing what we do, we stop earning any money as well because we're charging for the work that we're doing. Um, what, what are your? I mean, without going into too much detail, but what are your sort of <laughs> dare I say it, talking about retirement plans or anything like that, just recognizing that because we're not wor- we're not working for big corporations, it's not like we're working for Microsoft or you know Royal Mail with with a pension plan provided. How do you ensure that you're not going to be left high and dry when you come to put the camera down? I honestly think I'll just be shooting until I drop. That that is it. I I did have uh, thoughts of possibly opening up a high street family portrait studio because then that would be a business that even though through venture I understand the runnings of a family portrait studio and I'd never have to shoot in it so there there was there's there's that possibility but then even in Cheshire property rentals are on the high street are still so expensive it's um so that there's 
Yeah. So no, my my plan is I don't particularly have a plan. I will just shoot until I drop dead with the camera in my hands. <laughs> Hopefully, I would have photographed the first dance by that point, and it's time to go home anyway. <laughs> go home, put the slippers on. <laughs> Do you miss London life, based where you no, are absolutely now? Absolutely not. Really interesting. Yep. Absolutely not at all. No, I'm I love it uh, in the countryside. I think because um, I sort of grew up in in London. Well, where I grew up, we were. 20 minutes on a train into central London or we were 20 minutes walking and we were in the woods in the middle of nowhere because where I grew up was really sort of on the it was on the green belt it was on the outskirts and I loved that so I've always loved being able to get to the countryside as well as being able to get into London and yeah London was fun when I was a teenager going clubbing but the bright lights big city doesn't really have a draw on me um, at all Um, I still am working in London occasionally I can actually get a train from where I am here. Um, it's an hour and 38 minutes, and I'm in um, Euston. Okay, um, that's pretty good going. Is, I can probably get to Euston quicker from here than I could get to Euston from Dartford. Huh. So, <laughs> No way. That's crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. And you mentioned about music gigs. I mean, wh- wh- where do you tend to go to for that? That's, that's the other thing I love about being here. Um, whereas in the South, bands play London, and that's it. No matter where you are in the south, you've got to get into London. Whereas being in Cheshire, you've got Manchester and Liverpool are similar distance away, sort of going in probably about 45 minutes, coming home late at night, about 35 minutes. Um, Birmingham's under an hour away. I've even been to see bands over in Nottingham and Leeds, uh, Derby. So when bands do a tour, they tend to play, say, their one date down south to be London, mm-hmm. but up here they might do Birmingham, Manchester, Liverpool. Oh, so okay, yeah. It's, oh, it's phenomenal. And and I'm guessing they're smaller venues, which means you can often be closer to the front. Yes, that's the other thing that really took me by surprise. Um, there was sort of uh, Enter Shikari I went to see a couple of years ago, and in London they were playing Ali Pali. Okay. So, like, you don't really get much bigger than that as an indoor indoor arena in London. Whereas... We saw them in Liverpool Uni. Okay, <laughs> right. It's, like, it's yeah. so much smaller. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's amazing. And Manchester itself, um, I haven't had too many like sort of raucous nights out in Manchester, but it reminds me of London in the nineties. The very the fact that um, I can go to gigs and because I'm going up with my son who's sort of only only twelve, so we're driving up rather than getting the train. Mm-hmm. You can park a couple of streets away, or literally the street of the venue. Oh wow! Okay. Whereas in London, you just, you just couldn't do that. I mean, I remember the days where you could you could drive up, you could park in Soho Square and go and see a band at the Astoria, and your car would still be there afterwards and with no ticket on it or anything. Whereas now you just you wouldn't be able to do that in London. Whereas Manchester, I just absolutely love as a city. Well, that might tie into my last question, which is to tell me three things that you love about what you do. Or about anything in life, actually, and one thing that you don't like as well. Three things I love about what I do. The fact that photography gives me the time to spend with, with my family. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the, the biggest thing. That is one reason why, that, well, that is the reason why I'm self-employed. Mm-hmm. So I'm probably never, ever going to be rich financially. However, I've seen, seen my son grow up. I've been able to pick him up from school. We go out skateboarding together, and I've had that, that time to do that so that is the absolute biggest thing that photography's given or being self-employed has given me wow nice and also it's i've heard it i've heard it called um a champagne lifestyle on a beer salary which <laughs> i think <laughs> some of the places we get to go the people we meet the it's even just the food we get to eat uh, even if, if it's a corporate gig or if it, or it's at a wedding i mean at, 
did a, did a corporate gob a few few years ago uh, up the shard. Mm-hmm. I'd I'd never go for dinner at sort of forty floors up the shard. Mm. But the fact that it was on a corporate job and that was my lunch, mm. it was amazing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, and just yeah, the people you get to meet, whether it is say some of the people in bands that I've met, mm-hmm. lots of people would be like, oh my god, you've met so and so, and it's like, well, actually, they just spend their life sitting in a tour bus. Yeah, they haven't got that many interesting stories. Yeah, where some of the CEOs of companies that I've met, mm-hmm. they're living the rock and roll lifestyle. They're mm. traveling the world, um, so they've got some really interesting sort of stories to tell. So I like that aspect of it. Um, thing that I don't like, oh, there's no pension plan as we <laughs> as we <laughs> yeah. discovered on that one. Yeah, yeah, that's fair so, enough. <laughs> so that kind of sucks a little bit. I think maybe we should probably get an accountant, maybe one of your accountants that, that, that you tend to photograph, get one of them on. <laughs> yes, definitely. Yeah, see see if they can uh, pull some strings and pull some money out of the air. That'd be good. Um, there's, I don't know, there's not much not to like, really. It's not the hardest job in the world, is it? We all moan about certain things. Mm-hmm. And some of the days, they are long. Um, and a few old injuries really play up the day after mm-hmm. but yeah no it's it's a good life really isn't it mm, it is it is and i'm sure people here listening to this right now and nodding as well uh, martin where can people find you online if they wanted to check you out and connect with you they can find me um on instagram where everything is just martin hobby uh so my website martinhobby.co.uk instagram is at martin hobby linkedin is also at martin hobby spend a lot of time on linkedin that seems to work for me much better than instagram um, for, for the type of work that I'm getting. Or, yeah, just Google my name. You'll, you'll be surprised at what comes up. Or in the corporate photography Facebook group as well, where, where you tend to do time-lapse pictures setting up lights as well. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, if, you, if you're on Facebook and you're not a member of the... What's the name of it? Is it Corporate Photography UK? I think. I can't remember it. I'm an I, admin of I it and I can't it. remember it off the top of my head. <laughs> um, but that uh, it's, it's a really cool group to be part of, actually. that It's uh, a wealth of information and generally a pretty good attitude in there. Well, we'll put a link to all of those places you mentioned uh, in the show notes for this episode. Uh, but in the meantime, Martin, thank you for being here. It's been really good talking to you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Excellent. Cheers, Simon. So that was Martin Hobby, music lover, photographer and all round top bloke. Real pleasure to talk to him. And Martin, I know you'll be listening. So thank you for joining us on this episode of the podcast. Don't forget, you can find him online by searching Martin Hobby. And there's a link to that corporate photography Facebook group in the show notes for this episode. Now, our next episode is coming out soon. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.